You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. I got something I want to talk about to you. Welcome to Communication Mixdown here on 3CR, and a big thank you to the Climate Action Collective for their show. I'm Judith Peppard, and I begin by acknowledging that 3CR is broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, true owners and caretakers of this land. I pay my respects to elders, past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty has not been ceded. Today on Communication Mixdown, we'll be hearing from two groups who participated in the Raising Peace Festival, an online event which took place last month from September 16th to September 26th. The Raising Peace Festival was organized by International Volunteers for Peace, the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. Both organizations celebrated their Australian centenary last year. The Society of Friends, the Quakers, and IPAN, the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network. And just as the festival was beginning, the government announced the AUKUS Submarine Agreement, an irony that wasn't lost on the organisers, and emphasised for them the importance of the conversations they were about to have. Here's Nick Dean from IPAN. We did this at a very crucial time, the time when the powers that be, those who control the propaganda machine of the state, are beating the drums of war. The fact that people are responding is very significant because the people want peace. The people don't want war. We're constantly reminded about the possibility of war, and we wanted to be a bit of an antidote to that. Nick Dean from IPAN. A thousand people who attended the Raising Peace Festival Australia and internationally agreed, along with the 37 organisations that participated, highlighting the various ways that people worked for peace, from lobbying governments to preventing poverty. One of those organisations was the Great Lakes Agency for Peace and Development, also known as GLAPID, which supports migrants, refugees and asylum seekers from the Great Lakes region of Africa, which includes the countries of Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Dr. Nadim Shima is a medical doctor, a public health professional who holds double master's degrees in public health and health management. She's also a co-founder and settlement operations manager at the Great Lakes Agency for Peace and Development. She presented at two of the Raising Peace Festival sessions, Reconnecting Communities in Conflict and Peace Building in Practice, Africa and Beyond. Nadim came to Australia from Rwanda to study in 2011, and she was surprised at what she found. Even though people from the Great Lakes region enjoyed many benefits in Australia, such as free education, health care, things they didn't have in their country of origin, something was wrong. Here's Nadine Shima. That was my first disappointment because people were not that happy, not supporting each other. They didn't have that harmony. I started now looking for... Why? Why is it like this? I spent nights without sleeping, wanting to know what can I do? There were also other people who had the same concerns as me. 
we all just had this big heart create something. So you set up the Great Lakes Agency for Peace and Development in 2012. And as we can hear from the name, the first M was peace. We're organizing many workshops on conflict resolution and peace building and mental health. Mental health is not something that most Africans are really aware about. Mental health is not something in the policies in our countries. In some cultures, it's also seen in a negative way. How did people respond to these workshops? They will learn things about themselves that they didn't know. And they will acknowledge that this is the way I behave or the way I react. It's because there is something behind this issue or there's this challenge that I went through and it's affected me. Be like, oh, I think I've, ah, because I went through this, maybe this is why I have this kind of feeling, this kind of reaction. This, And then after that, feel also open to opportunities to seek support. I understand also that uh, there was a lot of conflict in the countries people came from. So did that come out in the workshops? Definitely. We also had another program with University of Sydney, Department of Conflict Resolution, a longer program, like six months. And you had community members and community leaders from the different countries. So we used to meet every two weeks. I think that's the one which really, really bad many fruits and changes among people. And we had people from different countries, different ethnic groups, parts where people had issues. And sometimes even people don't know that those conflicts really affected them. Even my story, not really a very bad one. And that happened 35 years ago. It still touches me. And they also taught us to remove this mind of judgment, always feeling that the other is the enemy. It's also made us change our thinking and our conception and the way we consider people. So the first priority for Nadine and her colleagues, who set up the Great Lakes Agency for Peace and Development, was establishing peace among the different groups from the Great Lakes region of Africa who had come to Australia. But they knew there were other issues, so the next step was a series of consultations to find out more. We just meet, just to ask, how are you in this new country? Are you enjoying? What are the issues? What are the challenges? And a big issue that they told us was the settlement journey from the beginning was not the best. And then we'll ask, what was the issue? And then everyone will talk about different issues, ranging from a caseworker who can't talk to them, who can't listen the language, who doesn't know their needs. We told us that when we arrived, they locked us in, in a room in a hotel for days. And as we say, like, we we need to go for shopping. We couldn't know what to buy. We can't read English. Most of us, we never got the chance to go to school. So reading and writing is an issue for us. And then in another language, in English, it's another issue. Then we tell us, you know, we grew up in a rural area. We never lived in cities. The only thing we know is agriculture and farming. So if we get a chance to go somewhere we can do again those activities, I think that will be the best option. So maybe no one thought about that before. Or even though they thought about it, but they will always think about other issues. And then after that, we'll ask, okay, what do you want? And that's how actually came up this program of regional settlement. We came up with the idea and we tried to go to lobby and advocate for that, which was not very easy for us because no one knew us. But at the end of the day, we started doing it. We just started creating some connections with rural areas and regional areas with no money, with no funding. <laughs> but 
we found out that also some regional areas and rural areas who really were ready to help. In 2020, we officially started working as staff in Glaped. I was the one in charge of receiving all the clients. I do a lot of grant submissions and also I develop programs. You have a very multicultural community when you talk about the Great Lakes countries. How many languages are spoken among the workers in your organization? Myself, I speak more than six languages. I was born in the Congo, so I speak Swahili, I speak Lingala, I speak French, I speak Kinyarwanda. In our office, one staff is from Kenya, another one is from the Congo, another one speaks Arabic from the Middle East. So all the languages from the Great Lakes, we speak them. We've never had anyone coming that we can't communicate. Terrific. That's great. There's a lot of demands on your services. You're really busy, but you've decided that you're going to do research. You're going to make time for that. So why was that important? It was that important to gain that reputation and that credibility. For a small organization, you really have to showcase evidence-based solution while when you are applying for a grant. So it's easier to do it if you have the research and you have some findings supporting and doing the research with some reputable universities, it also another value to create that confidence. What topics have you done research on? Domestic violence, understanding the perceptions and the understanding of communities from the Great Lakes, what's domestic violence, if people understand what it is. And we found out that some of the people didn't really know what is domestic violence in the full term. For some, they were just think domestic violence is the physical part. While we have so many people being abused financially, emotionally, psychologically, and which have very, very bad impacts on the people, some of the people didn't really know that that was abuse. And what to do, especially the services out there to support people who are going through those kinds of issues. So people didn't really know. I saw in your annual report, you've done research on your regional settlement program as well. At the moment, we have around five, six different settlements. Our main state is New South Wales, as well as Victoria. But we want to expand more to go to in other states such as Queensland. And that's, of course, our aim to go Australia-wide. So we also take people to places where there's job opportunities because most they are really longing to work again. Where there's opportunities, where there's a community ready to help and support them, and where there is mainly not only opportunities for work in different industries, but also farming and agriculture. Nadine Shima, a co-founder and currently Settlement Operations Manager at the Great Lakes Agency for Peace and Development. And I'll put a link to their latest annual report on the Communication Mixdown website. Join me, Aya Cry with Ubuntu Voices, Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African-Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free. One of us is chained. None of us are free.
the amazing Adja Kwai, who presents Ubuntu Voices here at 3CR. And she's got a new album coming out next month called Red Sands. So do watch for that. You're on 3CR, 855 on your dial and streaming live wherever you are. My next guest is Lucy Hopgood-Brown. For Lucy, peace is about dealing with poverty, creating partnerships and working from the grassroots up. She's on the board of the Great Lakes Agency for Peace and Development, and she's also co-founder of a small NGO, Hand Up Congo, which presented on their emergency medicine project at the Raising Peace Festival. And it turns out Lucy's got a long history with the Congo. She grew up in Lutombe, a remote town where her parents had been educators and missionaries. When Lucy and her sister Anne returned for a family visit in 2004, they were distressed by what they found. Here's Lucy. We spent a lot of time talking to the women, and we were really flabbergasted by the challenges they faced every day to survive, to help their children survive. On the way back, to the capital of the province in that dugout canoe, about 20 hours if we splurge and rent a motor for the canoe, which our family had done. We decided very naively that we would start a little nonprofit, which we called Hand Up Congo, because we were determined to give a hand up rather than a handout to the Congolese women. What were some of the issues that women told you about when you started up? that women would not have their children helping in the garden. When we asked why, they said, well, because they could be bitten by a snake and we don't have the money to take them to the hospital and pay for their health care. The girls were helping them carry water long distances from the river instead of going to school because they couldn't afford to have wells and they didn't have the money for school uniforms for their children or for school tuition. At that time, the Congolese government did not cover free education for children. They do now. So the women were really working 20 hours a day trying to make a living for their children and to keep them safe. Some of them, of the leaders, had been well-educated, but they felt stymied because they were in such a challenging socioeconomic context. That must have felt quite overwhelming. What was your starting point? Two of the women said, many of the women in the village know how to sew. If we had sewing machines, we could sew school uniforms for the children. We could sew doctor's jackets for the nurses and the doctors in the hospital. And then we could make clothes and sell those. All we need are one or two sewing machines. We raised money among our women friends to buy some sewing machines. We sent that money to Congo. They bought the sewing machines. That was our starting point. Sewing machines require power. What sort of power or electricity is available? There is no electricity. So these were the old Singer sewing machines that were moved by hand or with foot pedals. So that was the first project. What projects have come since? We reached a turning point in 2014. Robin Hutchinson, who's a longtime community development professional, traveled with me back to Congo. We had agreed with the Congolese in the village that we'd like to have a big community meeting and really create a history of what had the village achieved in the last 100 years and where we might journey together as project partners. Traveling with us was a Congolese community development expert whose name was Safari. 
And he and Robin led a community meeting with youth, with women, with the teachers, anyone who was interested was invited to participate. And at that meeting, they concluded that they would start their own community development committee. So they elected representatives from the women, the men, and the youth to that community development committee. And that 2014 trip was a turning point for them and for us, because we were able then to see how we could collaborate to achieve the goals that the community had. Biggest challenge has been the poverty. It could be one of the richest countries in Africa because of mineral wealth, because of forests and all the water with all the rivers could really power most of Africa with electricity if they had the hydroelectric energy harness. The challenges there sometimes seem overwhelming, but we try to take them one at a time. And a few times a year, we meet pre-pandemic face-to-face With the pandemic, it's been by telephone. And since you've mentioned the pandemic, I'm curious about how that's affected the community and your work. The community, thankfully, has not been affected by COVID because it is so isolated. But they have had other epidemics like measles, smallpox, cholera, and Ebola. We are very fortunate that the doctors and nurses in this hospital have been well-trained. The government does reach out to health zones like the one in Lotumbi to provide what resources they can as well. And if you've just joined us on Communication Mixed Down, I'm speaking with Lucy Hopgood-Brown about Hand Up Congo, a small, not-for-profit NGO which works particularly in the remote town of Lotombe, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And we'll hear about Hand Up Congo's emergency medicine program right after this message. A message from Victoria's community sector. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us. I really want to see my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on. To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again. So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated. For all of us. Please get vaccinated. A message from Victoria's community sector. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. And you are on 3CR. The show is Communication Mixed Down and I'm Judith Peppard. Today, we've been referencing the Raising Peace Festival, held from September 16th to the 26th, and in particular, the sessions on peace building among communities from the Great Lakes region of Africa, countries like Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. My next guest is Dr. Vera Sistinich, an emergency medicine specialist with clinical experience in countries such as China, Nepal, Peru, Vietnam, and has also been a health policy advisor to the International Committee of the Red Cross in Geneva. Vera is currently the project leader for Hand Up Congo's Emergency Medicine Project, started in 2015. At that time, the discipline of emergency medicine did not exist as a specialty in the Congo, and most doctors had to seek this training outside the country. 
But Asira told me she hadn't been to the Congo before, so when she first went to the remote town of Lotombi, she was there to learn. Here's Vera. We wanted to make it really count. So on the one hand, I said, well, I want this to be exploratory, but I also wanted to, even if this was the only trip I ever, ever did to the Congo, for it to bring something positive at the same time. So I researched what were the most common causes of death in the Congo, from pediatric to the adult population, pneumonia, dehydration, trauma, so uh, road accidents or falling off buildings because of lack of work, health and safety, hypertension and stroke, and of course, malaria, HIV, and so on. So what I did as an emergency physician is to create a three-day program, a practical program. So I designed a package in the kind of the top 10 things that we in our training program in these three days could address. And at the same time, look into what's available locally. Yeah, so obviously you did research before you went. Was there a connection between what you saw and what people told you? Absolutely. And in fact, the classroom is really a way to listen, to understand and to hear and to interact and to meet and to experience. Whereas if you're in a course, people get excited. They chat to you. You see them day after day. You have a drink, you know, you have lunch. You develop relationships. It's all about relationships in the Congo and trust. In 2016, something happened, not in the Congo itself, but in the Cote d'Ivoire, that confirmed the importance of emergency medicine for the region. Papa Wemba is one of the greatest sort of modern singer-musicians of the Congo. At the beginning of one of the trips, it was massive news that he had died. He was giving a performance in Kotiwa, and he just collapsed on the stage. Lots of people ran to his aid. They were waving towels furiously at him in the attempt to get him to breathe. It was all quite horrific just to watch the resuscitation efforts. We were in the airport and we saw this televised. When I did the next teaching session, I said, look, do you think that there's anything that we could have done for Papa Wemba? If you watch the resuscitation efforts, do you think there's something else that we could have done? And everyone said, by the end of the class, just went, this is, this is in- incredible. Nothing that was happening resembled basic or advanced first aid. And then the story arc of that if they were there, they might have been able to save Papa Wemba with the appropriate basic training, I think really spoke to the urgency of the need for emergency medicine training. How did you feel when you saw the video? I felt that it was a tragedy, not that Papa Wemba, even with the highest level of medical intervention, would necessarily have survived, but more importantly for a system to not have that knowledge within it to use, even for the most famous and the most rich. And to me, that was a wake-up call. If a national hero wasn't receiving basic medical care, imagine what the less privileged population might have to be satisfied with. The whole project has taken on a life of its own. So the Democratic Republic of Congo now has an emergency medicine association recognizing emergency medicine as a discipline in the Congo. Hundreds of members trained in emergency medicine or have committed to the development of emergency medicine training in the Congo. And we have found extraordinary local champions, Dr. Ken Diango, Dr. Julu, and Dr. Muller, who are really beginning to shape the entire trajectory of emergency medicine. The need for us will dwindle away naturally quite soon. 
Vera Sistinich, project leader for Hand Up Congo's Emergency Medicine Project, which started in 2015, and Vera was on a panel entitled Peace Building and Practice, Africa and Beyond, at the Raising Peace Festival, along with Dr. Nadine Shima from the Great Lakes Agency for Peace and Development. The presentations in this session looked at grassroots work and creating genuine partnerships. I asked Nadine Shima, for whom partnerships are very important, what makes a good partnership? The most important thing is, is the trust and believing that we can work together, especially when we have the same aim, the same mission, as well as considering each other's opinion and ideas. So a collaboration is not like someone coming and say, okay, I'm coming to help you. Everyone has something to bring on the table. Like everyone has a part, a shared strength. Dr. Nadine Shima. And you can hear Nadine and Vera's conversation at the Raising Peace Festival by going to the festival website and looking for the recording entitled Peace Building in Practice, Africa and Beyond. And while you're there, check out what else is on offer. Lots on that website. First Nations Day, the first day of the Raising Peace Festival was particularly impressive. And there were so many great topics covered. Just Google Raising Peace Festival and you'll find it all there. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. We're coming to the end of Communication Mixdown. A big thank you to all our guests and to you for tuning into the program and to 3CR. Take care, enjoy your freedom, and take it gently if you need to. It's not always easy coming out of lockdown. I'm going out with a track from Papa Wemba. Here's Voyageur.
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.